City FC, Michelle about soccer in Utah on the Wasatch Front. It's been a very Royal-centric week this week. A lot of signings from Utah Royals FC. Uh, Michelle Vasconcelos, formerly BYU Women's Soccer, the highlight free agent signing for that organization. And so I figured this would be a good time to go back to Murph's alma mater uh, at Brigham Young University. Uh, but not for the women's program. BYU Women's Soccer this Friday, NCAA quarterfinal against North Carolina. Be there 6 p.m. Mountain Time if you can, ESPN Plus if you can. We're, we'll give them a shout-out. But we're going to give a bigger shout-out to the BYU men's soccer team, which, yes, I know what a bunch of you are thinking by now. Long-time listeners of this feed know. The real ones know. Some of you are probably thinking, BYU has a men's soccer team? Yes, they do, and they're champs, guys. Uh, BYU men's soccer wins its fourth straight national championship in the collegiate club ranks. Fifth in the last six years. Um, the only time they missed was during a certain 2020 season because of a pandemic or something or another. And joining me now in the room, live and in person, the head coach of that program, just winning title after title after title, Mr. Brandon Gillum, former BYU goalkeeper himself, uh, Coach, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to meet up with you again after our last one. And uh, give a shout-out to Michelle as well. Her husband's alumni of ours, That's Pedro. Right. Shout-out um, to Pedro. So Pedro and Or Scarlett Stan, as I yeah. like to call Yeah, so excited for her. She deserves this. Um, I actually got to coach her when she was here at the Royals. So I was on staff when she was here during the COVID. Oh, there you go. So I was goalkeeper coach with Royals. So excited for her to be back yeah. and for them to have a chance to be back in Utah. Welcome home, Michelle, for real. Welcome home. Um, let's move on to your program, though. Four straight national championships. The fourth one here, you guys had just an absolute dominant season. We were going through this a little bit off mic, um, but you've shared this a few times, so I don't think I'm embarrassing you too much. Five of the last six national titles, you guys haven't lost a match since the 2018 quarterfinals in the collegiate club ranks. Uh, 73 straight unbeaten. That is that is just a mind-blowing number, Coach. 73 straight unbeaten. So let's let's actually start there. How do you keep your guys motivated with a streak like that, with a title run like you're currently on? How do you keep them motivated to just keep pressing forward and, and keep doing what they're doing? Um, that's the conversation that we have the most. I have it constantly with our coaches. I have it constantly with the, our leadership group. But we constantly are adjusting and adjusting um, of what it looks like to continue to push it because it's easy to get complacency. Um, and in this world, even though we, we go into most games as a better team um, than our opponents, anybody can knock you off if you drop too much. Um, and we saw that at uh, our first game at regionals against Weaver. Weaver's a very good team, but obviously I think we should have taken that one. Um, but it finishes 0-0. And so the conversation has to be had um, in those moments of if you drop below 95% of what you're capable of doing, any team physically can knock you off and cause you problems. And so uh, I don't know if there's a, a single recipe to it other than you better be constantly worried about the drop-off. Sure. Uh, 19 matches this year, 17 wins, 2 draws. 67 goals scored, 
five against, and we were just talking about this off air. I don't even think you realized this until you went back on it. Three of those goals were from the penalty spot. Yeah. Uh, three, three of the five from goals. Boise. Yeah. And from Boise State. So shout out to the Broncos. I guess. <laughs> yeah, Boise. Uh, <laughs> they got one PK against us at home, and they got two PKs in yeah. when we went up there to play them. So. Yeah. What is it about this defense that was so good for you guys in particular with your back line? And then you got a, a goalkeeper who I think Mark Pope with the men's basketball team should maybe out. take a look at. He's 6'7 or 6'8. Six six eight. Eight he's got a 7-foot wingspan yeah. in there. Uh, just what is it about this defense that was so good for you guys this year? A couple different things. Um, one is we came in with a lot of experience in this back line. Um, so we had Nate and Cam Pinnock who both have played uh, for a long time together. Nate graduating senior, outstanding player. Um, and then you'd have a goalkeeper who's 6'8". And it's kind of funny. I, I was a goalkeeper, so my mentality whenever I watch a game is what happens when you lose the ball, right? It, it was a lot harder for me as a coach to get good at offensive tactics than defensive tactics. I can coach defense all day long because I was a goalkeeper. Sure. And so when I watch a game, I always look at the structure and the shape of, if you lose the ball right now, what will be what will happen and so um, we build our attack around that concept of if you lose a ball in this moment what's the shape of your team how many players have you committed forward how can you defend it and the players buy into that pretty pretty dang well and they obviously showcased it um, but the other thing is for the tournament so six games zero goals against zero goals against in the tournament yeah I was gonna get to that next yeah so a lot of people came and asked me about it but we actually shifted about half the not the games, but half the time we were in a three-five-two instead of four-three-three, which we adjusted mm. to um, during the tournament. Playing a little three, a little three-back. Yeah, three-back's actually one of my favorite shapes. Um, it leaves you very less susceptible down the middle. Yeah. And when you have the ball more, teams don't attack you wide; they attack you down the middle. So when your center backs get spread to try to keep possession, you you leave up that hole in the middle. And sure. so in a three-back, it actually helped out a ton because a, a lot of teams wanted to counter against us and uh, just locked it up with that three-back for yeah. a lot of the games as well. Yeah, well, and it seems a little counterintuitive, but you can actually get a little bit more offensive sometimes there. If you've got two of the right wing-backs to play out of that midfield, you can spread the ball a little bit out yeah. wide, and it, it seems like you had guys that you trusted in those positions as well. Yeah, both Asher and Ashby and different players that we could stick out there that did very well. Um, but it also it helps calm games down. To, it's a more possession-based team because you always have five in the middle, and so you always have somebody available to play. And so it calm games down. And when you're playing six games in three days, you don't want a back-and-forth game. Sure. You don't want to be chasing forward and back and forward. And so it helped us out a lot to utilize that um, to calm games down, to sure up that back line and make sure we didn't give anything up. We talked uh, about your defense. We, we talked a little about your offense, obviously. 67 goals, four. Mm -hmm. uh, 70, in the 73-match unbeaten run, which includes four straight national titles, five in the last six years. The only other year uh, didn't have a title, so, but we still got to say five and six just yep. for historical purposes, I guess. What was special about this year's team in general? Like, when you look back at this year's team, what was kind of the tenure or the flavor that you're going to go, that was the team that X? What was special about them? For me, and we talk about that 3-5-2, um, this national championship took a lot more from the coaching staff. Really what we look to do is start off a season 
and kind of started off slow. We want to peak right in the beginning of November. And that's, that's kind of our goal. That's how we line up everything. And so each game just builds on itself until we get to November. That's our goal. Um, this year really wasn't that way where we never quite found a full footing. Um, and we kept looking at different tweaks. And it was, there was a lot of different things that came into play, a lot of kind of nagging injuries on a lot of players that just never found their full form on the year. Um, and so it caused issues. If you're not scoring goals and your offense isn't fluid, then you have to look at, okay, well, if, if we're not putting away as many as we want, then how are we going to keep us sharp in other areas? And so going into the tournament, there was a lot of kind of maybe, for me, a little, not uneasiness, but like, you need to look at the full picture because this is six games in three days. Can we play a certain style? How do we play? And that's when the staff and I started talking about well, what are our other options. And the first game we ended up getting... Um, Cam Pinnock took a, a pretty bad dead leg um, and couldn't really run, so he came out in the first game. And then Isaiah got our, uh, Isaiah got a, a red card in the first game. We went down a man in the first game and held on to that 1-0. Wow. And so we were out two center backs going into game two. And so we really had to, like, okay, well, what's going to look like now? So I think for me it was special because it took a lot more took a lot more thought. Yeah, a lot of diversity. Lot, yeah, a yeah. lot of things that just weren't like smooth sailing. There was, even though you look at the score lines and you're like one zero two zero two zero two zero all the way through, it wasn't like just clean and easy. There was a lot to work out at the end of it. Yeah, and it, it seems like it. you had a team that, that was, I know coaches throw this word around a lot, it's almost overused to a point, but they were kind of gritty. They were kind of grimy. They weren't afraid to just grind through results when things aren't going your way. The center back is suddenly off 20 minutes into the match for a red card or whatever it is, like that kind of thing. But they just they, they kind of appreciated or, or embraced that grind mentality, I guess. Yeah, which is good when you <laughs> tournaments of six <laughs> games and three days, right? So, so I appreciated this one. Just There's special moments about all of them, but the energy and effort it took at the end of this one was kind of fun. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, what's next? What's next for this program? I'm sure, you, I mean, you've been able to celebrate this this national title again uh, for the program. When you look towards the next season, what what's kind of the next big thing on the horizon? What do you see about the team coming back, about the guys moving on, that sort of thing? Where's, where's sort of your coaching brain there, I guess? Yeah, a couple players that we lose who are big Big additions, um, obviously Ben Gonzalez, um, him particularly for me and Nate Mumford uh, are two special players just because there was a lot of, that was right when I took over as head coach. So I remember meeting with both of their parents, mm -hmm. right? And so it's kind of like a, a changing of the guard almost. That was the, the start of my head coaching was with Ben Gonzalez and Nate Mumford. Um, and so to have those two leave, is it's, Great players, great people, great leaders, um, so they're going to have to be replaced. Um, um, but for me personally, just because it was kind of the, the start of my head coaching days was those two. So we're looking at... Uh, ben was a, a captain, I think, this year. Ben and Nate both. Nate was also captain? Yeah, okay. so those are two captains. Um, plenty of people. You know, there's there's been players in the past, like Michael Andersons, um, Adam Canfield, um, Christian Bain, where you're kind of like, oh, those are big losses. Sure. Um, 
but every year it's so fun and exciting to see the next generation just say, I'm going to take it on. And so I'm excited about that. There's a lot of players who are going to step up in the spring and take on um, a new mantle, which will be a lot of fun. So first is to get our spring schedule set. So working on that one to see who we can line up um, and hopefully have some fun games um, during the spring to challenge them even more. Um, and then to get back at it for next fall. Um, it's, it's kind of like a rotating wheel with different <laughs> phases to it, right? Spring is one phase, summer is one phase, and then back at fall, and this one's done already. Um, but I'm hoping, one thing I've been working on for a long time is hopefully the collegiate club world just continues to grow. And mm. there's 450 men's teams and 350 women's collegiate club teams. So I just want to see it grow. That will help us, but that will help all the other kids. I mean, there's how many kids actually get scholarships? How many get to go play D1 and D2? Not very right. many. Right, and certainly significantly fewer boys soccer players than girls soccer players nationally. Right, for and, sure. and especially in Utah. Yeah, especially right. in Utah. We don't have a lot of men's sanctioned programs. And so I just I want to see Collegiate Club continue to grow, um, and I'm hoping that we'll see some shifts next year. Um, I talked to a lot of people and I think there's some stuff in the works that can come out next year uh, to kind of really push this this organization to a, a new standard. Well, well let's, let's touch on that a little bit because the conversation that I always get when I talk to, when I bring up BYU men's soccer, first of all, it's BYU has a men's soccer yep. team, which I'm sure you get all the time, um, but then also it's, well, they're not an NCAA program, where are they, where do they exist, and you, you kind of try to explain uh, the NIRSA and the collegiate club model and sort of where that exists and and you see like you even see a lot of programs that have club teams but they also have NCAA teams right. UVU has yep, for example an both. NCAA program and they also have a nursery team um, some big national universities the Ohio State's Michigan's of the world right. also kind of play in that space as well what what is what's kind of the what's kind of the biggest I guess advantage to the collegiate club model that you feel like this has been, I mean, it's been really good for you guys yeah. since you guys left the PDL, now USL League 2, uh, all those many years ago. What, what's kind of been the biggest advantage, do you think, about playing in this space? For you? So we, I'll give an example. We played Arizona State, and they had a forward for Arizona State out at Nationals who was very good, um, kind of carried their team and scored a lot of goals. Um, and I was talking to his a dad and uh, for that team and the dad was telling me that during COVID his son had offers lined up and COVID kind of shot those just because you know graduating seniors weren't graduating sure. and he didn't get his spot and he decided to go he wanted to be at Arizona and so he went to Arizona to play for their club team um, and his dad's like he's loved every minute of it because it's been a balanced college life it hasn't been 100% all soccer. I have to give up my whole world to be able to, to, to do this. And I think in youth sports, I've, I'm actually seeing it more and more that because kids are becoming competitive at eight years old, they're getting to 17 and they're like, well, I haven't experienced anything. I haven't had any freedoms on my own. Sure. And, but it doesn't mean they want to ditch their sport. It just means they want to have a little bit more flexibility. When you go into college athletics in the D1, you better be 100% committed to give up everything because your life will be run by it, and that's the way it should be because you're giving everything back to your university and your program and all that. The advantage that we have is you have a proper summer off. You have a proper winter off. You know, my guys are 
I'm like, just be smart, but go skiing. Go have fun, enjoy your life, but know that soccer is still a commitment for you. And so it, it creates a much more balanced life at this level. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to take this model to produce your next professional, <laughs> but I'm going to produce a kid who's going to have a great experience. He's going to enjoy his college, his college experience. Um, he's going to play at a high level, and he's going to build memories both on and off the field that sometimes you might not get you know, when you just give up everything for one thing. For sure, for sure. Um, and, that, and that seems like a model that is maybe uh, kind of necessary at a lot of schools in the country these days just with with the demands of the uh, i guess youth professionalization of sports and that kind of thing maybe that maybe that is a model that could be used a little bit more i think it could grow yeah. i think there's no end to its growing really if you really think about it because there's a lot of the club programs who financially the school doesn't give them anything so why wouldn't that school be able to have quote unquote a one and two team right just like a high school a varsity and a jv so there's a lot of schools i think it was minnesota had one team in the championship division of our tournament and they had a second team in the open division which is kind of like a lottery pick just to come play mm -hmm. a tournament right um so if you think about it, even your biggest school like a michigan who has how many students are in that school yeah tens of thousands yeah right yeah 40, so, 50, you have yeah. 40,000 kids, you have a Division One team, you have a club team, and maybe you have a second club team, just so that you're giving more to your student body, giving more opportunities. Because for sure, if you have 40,000 kids, I guarantee you, you have a lot of soccer kids who would like to keep playing at a competitive level and travel and represent a jersey um, for the school. Sure. Uh, last question, I'll get you out of here on this, Good. because one of the times I talked to you, I remember when you guys were leaving the PDL, former PDL, now USL2, I guess, um, when you were leaving that to go back to the collegiate club ranks, one of the things you mentioned to me was the chance to play in the fall when students are on campus, as opposed to, I'm from Provo, so I can say this, Provo becomes a little bit of a barren wasteland yeah. over the summer, right? Students all go home, or they're off working, or right. whatnot. Um and you love that idea of playing in the fall when students could come and, and really connect with some of their classmates, their peers, and that kind of thing. Have you seen that the last couple of years with this team, being able to connect with the campus community a little bit more and, and maybe kind of build and foster some of those relationships that maybe you couldn't see during summer games? A hundred percent. Yeah. The, the players walk on the university, they're recognizable. People know more where that conversation of, oh, I didn't know we had a team has kind of dwindled. When we were in the PDL, that conversation was so high with the, the student body because they never saw them, right? There was no scheduled games right. while I was on campus. Um, and so it, it's kind of shifted back towards when, before when, when we left to go into the PDL. Um, our attendance hasn't necessarily changed, but the people at the games has changed. So during the summer, we really pushed for all your your youth kids yeah. and their parents, community, right? Yeah, it was very get the community, community involved. Community yeah. supported, and we sat probably close to about 1,500 average attendance, um, which, by the way, in NCA is is top 10%. Uh, I was right? going to say, that's, yeah, that's a, t a top 25 or a top 50 model. Yeah, least, right? right, and so we're getting great attendance, um, but now that attendance is still getting some of the youth model, but more of the students, and so student fan base who are coming out to cheer and, and see their fellow, especially like freshman groups who, you know, they want to go to every game they can and they have freshman sure. people that they know on the team and come out and support them. So it's been a nice shift in that sense. Um, it helps with the kind of rivalry games where 
playing a Orange County Blue Stars isn't as exciting as playing <laughs> Utah, right? That's something sure. that people can get up for. Um, and so that piece of it has been awesome to see. Um, and the cooler temperatures on Friday nights mm. on Southfield are always fun. You just you can't get away from how, how fun those games are. I was going to say a lot nicer for you to not be uh, on on Southfield during 100 degree days and instead you've got the 70s or 80s of September inside, right? The only bad thing <laughs> is that Southfield grows its best during the summer, so it's like this pristine field just sitting there all summer long. And then, you know, we live in Utah, so it doesn't grow as well in Grass doesn't grow as well in the winter, yeah, right? it's true. And so, but the field just sits there so much steam. My lawn knows summer. that for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 Well, Brandon Gillum, uh, head coach of the now four-time defending champions, five of the last six national champions BYU in soccer program. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for talking about your team. And I'll, I'll let you go because you got to get back to work working on a picture. Hit the recruiting program. Yeah, you go ask my wife. She's like, what are you, are you celebrating? I'm like, no, I'm thinking about the next one. Already thinking about next year, the, the hallmark of a good coach. <laughs> Brandon Gillum for the BYU men's soccer team. Thanks Thank for joining me.